This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you like to get off your chest right now? Are you feeling lonely, unappreciated, or misunderstood? When you keep these feelings bottled up, they can affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and work through whatever is weighing you down. It's a great way to increase your self-awareness, change negative thought patterns, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now. Welcome to the Krishnadas Pilgrim Heart Hour. This podcast is a manifestation of our interconnected lives, and we wish to keep it free at all costs, if you can say that. So, we are dependent on the generosity of you, our listeners. So, please go to mindpodnetwork.com slash kd, and either use the donate button, or just bookmark the Amazon portal. We receive a small percentage of however much you paid for whatever you bought. Nothing extra for you, but a tangible contribution, if small, for us. You could also sign up for a free trial with the voluminous audible.com. We get something out of that, too. We thank you for the support and allowing us to continue presenting Krishnadas's excellent talks. Hi, everyone. My name is Chris Grasso, and I host the Indie Spirituals podcast right here on the MindPod Network. Uh, it's a real pleasure for me to be doing a bit of cross-pollinating with Krishna Das's Pilgrim Heart podcast. And now, before we get into the conversation I recently had with KD, I wanted to give you a little bit of context, as this wasn't your traditional podcast conversation. It was actually recorded for a documentary that I'm currently working on, which is called Gotta Go In to Get Out. And here's a brief synopsis just to bring you up to speed. Gotta Go In to Get Out is a feature documentary exploring the journeys of two men who found themselves in prison, one literally and the other metaphorically through drugs and alcohol, in their quest to find the freedom we all seek, not only from San Quentin's death row, but also the prison in our minds. The film will explore the question, what is freedom? We will examine society's prison for profit culture and capitalism as a means of enslavement, our relationship with money and a corrupt legal system, and a prison system designed to punish and devalue instead of rehabilitate and revive. We will also look at how spirituality has found its way into prisons and is freeing many behind bars. So the person metaphorically imprisoned to drugs and alcohol in that synopsis is myself. And the person literally imprisoned in San Quentin on death row is a gentleman named Jarvis J. Masters. And while KD and I will talk more about myself and my own experience in the uh, conversation ahead, I wanted to also quickly read Jarvis's bio since he obviously could not be a part of this conversation. So Jarvis J. Masters is a widely published African-American Buddhist writer living on San Quentin's death row. He is the author of two books, 
Finding Freedom, Writings from Death Row, and That Bird Has My Wings, The Autobiography of an Innocent Man on Death Row, which was awarded the 2008 Barnes & Noble Discovery Great New Writers Award. In 1992, Masters won a Penn Award for his poem, Recipe for Prison Pruno, all while serving as an inmate at San Quentin since the age of 19. Both of Jarvis's books continue to be used as course curriculum books in high schools and colleges around the country. Jarvis is a member of the advisory board of the Human Kindness Foundation, founded by Bo and Sita Lozoff, which freely distributes books to inmates nationwide. Thousands of copies of Jarvis's book, Finding Freedom, has been given to inmates since its publication in 1997. And now I think you are all properly equipped to move forward and take in this conversation between Katie and I. One last thing I would like to quickly say is that if while you're listening, you find that uh, any of this resonates for you and you're interested in donating to our Fundly.com campaign, to help support this uh, documentary, Gotta Go In To Get Out, there's a link on Krishna Das's page for this podcast on the Pilgrim Heart page with the MindPod Network. Or if you've downloaded this from iTunes, you can just simply go to fundly.com and search Gotta Go In To Get Out. And so without further ado, here's my conversation with the one and only Krishna Das. So I, I saw that you at least had a quick chance to glance over the interview or not the interview, the uh, overview of what we're doing with the film because you commented on San Quentin. It, it was, that's about how much I saw. I'm, I, I have to apologize. I haven't had 10 seconds, but which is good. I, I, uh, I like, like I said, I like to let things flow organically. Um, the, the, basically the premise is freedom. We're, we're exploring. I'm, I'm working on my third book right now with this inmate who's on death row. At San Quentin. His name is Jarvis J. Masters, a really beautiful human being. He was imprisoned over 35 years ago for a crime he did commit. He grew up in the ghettos of L.A. He was sentenced to eight years. Very long story short, mm-hmm. he ended up being convicted of sharpening a spear that was used not by him, but by someone else to kill a prison guard. Oh, now they don't like that. No, they don't at all. The thing yeah. is, he is so you know, everyone's innocent in prison, but he is literally so innocent that the California uh, court system for the first time, I think ever has reopened his case many years later because the evidence is so overwhelming of his innocence. So anyways, I read his first book, Finding Freedom, when I was in a very hopeless place. I, I was in a rehab. It was after a number of relapses I'd suffered to drugs and alcohol. And reading that book was very powerful for me. And we became friends once I got out. And we've just stayed in touch. And he's written two books, really profound. Mm. Um, he took it. He did the Red Tara ceremony and Death uh, Row. Pema Children's now his teacher. She goes out and visits him twice a year. Oh, wow. um, yeah. So I mean, he, his books are used in prisons, in schools, in classrooms. It's really wonderful. So the documentary—that's what leads me up to what we're doing now—is it's a, it's about freedom, but it's it, the underlying story is. My relationship with Jarvis, you know, how these two different worlds came together. Um, We were both in, he's in a literal prison. I was in a metaphoric prison of addiction and and so forth. But we're trying to get a wide range of people to talk about freedom and and various things under that fall under that umbrella. So I wanted to have you on because all the times I've seen... Freedom's just another word (laughs) for nothing left to lose. There you go. 
But so that's, yeah, I, I mean, I know that you as well uh, had your experience with drugs in the past. And I, but more yeah. than that, I, I love that anytime I hear you speak or I've seen you perform, it's, you just say whatever comes up, whatever comes up, comes out. And I love that about you. So my first, I guess, question for you, and this is very subjective, yeah, obviously, but in your experience, what would you say freedom is? Well, it's not such a simple question, right? There's because you're, we're on the spiritual path, we have to be, we have to have somewhere within us the understanding of ultimate freedom. And the absolute freedom from suffering. And freedom from the causes of suffering. So we have to have that, in a sense, as a goal. Whether we truly believe it or not, Let's not even go there. But, but, so within that framework, we try to develop freedom. We try to develop more freedom in our daily lives, which to me means not acting out of selfish motives, not acting out of greed, out of anger out of selfishness, out of fear, out of shame, out of guilt. And we do that because underneath that we believe that there really is, that is possible. And we believe that if we could do that, we would be, we would experience ultimate freedom if we could overcome our selfish, self-centered version of the world. So I don't know. I mean, so there's, there's, there's two, it seems to me there's like what they, it's very, you know, this is a very Buddhist thing in a way. There's ultimate freedom and then there's relative freedom. Two truths, right? So I think you really have to kind of really try to understand that and accept that because you can't just go to ultimate freedom. Mm. There's no way we can actually even understand what that means because we are limited we are caught in our stuff and so what we work on is becoming a good human being and developing the strength to do that and that means to develop the to to gradually become free of creating suffering for ourselves and others Mm -hmm. i think that's probably And, and there's infinite ways of doing that. You know, there's not any one right way. Right. What Everybody's karmic situation is different, and they, they're connected to different lineages, they're connected to different teachings, they're connected to different ways of seeing the world, and we each have to fight our way out of the particular paper bag that we're stuck inside of, you know, and, and whatever way we can find to do that. Um, and, uh, yeah, so the next, the next issue is like, a, why are we looking for freedom? And the answer is that we're suffering. Right. And so you see somebody who's on death row 
That's very intense suffering. And the intensity of that suffering, the, it's the intensity of our suffering that gives us the propulsion to try to find a way to deal with it, a way f to become free of it. So the more intense the suffering is, the more, the more viciously we, voraciously we, 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 we search for freedom because our lives depend on it. You know, there's this story about Kisugotami, who's this village woman in India whose child died newborn baby died and she was she was devastated and she actually got a little crazy and she was going around asking people how can I bring my baby back to life and somebody said you know well there's the saint over there you can go see him he can do that it turned out it was the Buddha so she went to see him and the Buddha says oh no problem you know I can do that but the only thing you have to do for me is you have to go to all the, the houses in this village and bring me some sesame seeds, but they have to come from a house where no one's died. So go out there. I'll wait for you. I'll be here. So not, she didn't get it, you know, because she was so crazed. So she started going from house to house. And, do you have any sesame seeds? Sure. Can you give me some? Yeah, sure. Oh, but wait, uh, has anyone ever died here? Of course. Oh, no, no, I can't take it. By the end of the day, she had buried her baby. And she came back to the Buddha, and she bowed down and became a disciple, and she became a completely enlightened being. It was the intensity of her suffering that, that gave her the juice to, to break the veil, to see through the veil. So, you know, my, I had a friend named Bo Lozoff, who you might have heard of. Yeah, absolutely. Human Kindness died, Foundation. Died a couple of years ago, you yeah, know. Motorcycle accident, right. But he started the prison ashram project with Ramdas many years ago. And, yeah. and the idea was just this, you know. Yeah. So, you know, what people normally think is maybe a good life, it may not be a good life, you know. Because they say, for instance, that if we have money, we have it because we were generous in previous lives. Most people who have too much money are not generous. They are scared of losing that. They hold on. They live behind a fence. They've got security people. And they're not giving away their money. They're clinging to it. And so they're spending the karmas that, they, that got them there. And they're not creating more karmas for more money. So that's just one example. So it, it, what seemed like a good life is actually not. You know, a good life is mean developing certain qualities that that bring plant the seeds for uh, for the things you really need. You know, so. Mm. so freedom could be uh, the awareness that helps you plant those seeds. That would be freedom. On, on, in a relative reality, freedom to not create suffering and to, 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 come, to overcome those selfish desires which, which keep building this house. What did Buddha say, you know, when he's in line? He said, oh, house builder, no more. This house is finished. 
and there will be no more houses built for me, no more ego, no more me anymore, only being. You know, so, so he reached a point of ultimate enlightenment where there wasn't even any karma waves rolling over him. Even, you know, there's other levels of that freedom. You can be free of suffering, but you still have incarnations coming because you've created all this. So he had ended, he had ended that. Boom, it's over. Yeah. <laughs> Big time. Yeah. Uh, as I'm listening to you, you know, I'm going back to my own experience. Uh, as, I, as I mentioned, you know, relapsing, and it wasn't the first time, but I'd gone through a vicious cycle of getting clean maybe about a year or so each time not really doing the inner work that I needed to be doing. I was just kind of scratching the surface. I would get the material things back in my life. Mm -hmm. And I was basing my semblance of well-being, recovery and whatnot on that. Mm -hmm. uh, but it wasn't until this last time, four years ago, where, I mean, I, <laughs> the way I was living should have died by all accounts or, or could have died by all accounts and woke up in, in yet another jail cell from a blackout, not remembering how I got there. But this was the first time in all of that time where that little flame flicker of hope that I would feel in previous relapses was gone. I mean, I was very much ready to die. I, I wanted to die. I, I welcomed the thought of it. I was just too chicken shit to actually take my own life. I was hoping the drugs and alcohol would do that. Um, but in retrospect, it was that utter brokenness, that hopelessness that finally, truly cracked that heart armor you know, and it allowed some of the light to start coming through. And yeah. That's what it took for me, you know, and so. And you also have to recognize that what separates you from other people is that the part of you that you're, you don't, you're not aware of, so your karmic situation mm -hmm. uh, allowed for that hopelessness to, to, to transform into, uh, into life. Whereas many people get into that hopelessness and they're finished. So you say you were chicken shit to kill yourself, but actually, uh, even though on the ego level supposedly, and you wanted to die, your true, your 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 deeper awareness wanted to live. Mm -hmm. You you weren't in touch with that, and that's what created that next breath. Mm. It came from that place, you know. So. That's there's no way of explaining why some people just go and other people stay. I mean, it's, you know, I suppose, um, you know, and I, I was gone. There was no, I hadn't, I did not have the strength to uh, overcome the uh, free base addiction I had. I was history, and it took uh, my Indian father, my closest friend in the world the person who I respected and loved more than anybody to look at me and this was a great yogi also to look at me and say promise me now you'll stop cocaine promise me now like this I, he didn't give me any option I w if I had turned away from him I was turning away from everything that I loved I couldn't do that and so I said, okay. And 
from that moment on, cocaine and shit were equal. Mm. Shit might have been better. I think it was. I think it is. That's grace. I mean, I surrendered to what had to be done, not to any quality that I had. You know, it was simply that I couldn't say no to him. I wouldn't say no, and I didn't want to say no. I could only say, okay, not thinking about the future or not thinking about what would happen or anything. I just said, okay, in that moment. So, and so I, I don't know what other people do. Mm. I can't give advice to anyone because I didn't do it myself. Mm. I didn't even give it to God, like they say. And, you know, I mean, I didn't fucking, I just couldn't say no to this guy. And he took care of it. And then after that, boom, it was gone. So, I, I really, I have great uh, empathy for people who are trying to do that, you know, uh, on the same level that they're stuck, from the same level that they're stuck. It's almost an impossible feat, and if they're able to do it, it's amazing. My mother was, you know, an alcoholic, and... The last 20 years, she wouldn't even take an aspirin. Wow. Of her life, so. And even, but, uh, and well, I don't want to go there, but an aspirin might have helped her at some point, you know. But yeah, she, sure. she wouldn't do it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm you know, so happy for you, and, and um, you know. May it may it be so forever, you know. Yeah. Well, I very much appreciate that. That I and I appreciate you bringing up the karmic aspect as well, because there are still times where I will struggle and feel guilt that I'm alive, whereas I know so many other great human beings that have lost their life because of addiction, you know, and and they didn't make it. So I have that, uh, and again, relative ego level. The, you know, why why me? And that voice pops in like you know, you're no better than anyone else, which I know I'm not, but you should have died, blah, blah, blah. So it's interesting, as Ram Dass would say, oh, Christopher the Mill, you know. You have to, rec- see, you have to, you have to accept the grace. Right. When, when I was uh, about to be sentenced to jail, to prison, I'm a convicted felon, uh, and I'm hoping they'll let me back into Canada. Uh, <laughs> next week uh, I, they should I have applied for permanent rehabilitation as they put it because I, I, I was convicted down here in the states for money laundering and anyway, very boring story but anyhow uh, I was sitting there waiting for the judge to come out and tell me probably that I would have maybe two years in jail with, uh, and a year of that would be Inside, and then a year of that would be maybe uh, probation or something like that. Uh, and I was expecting that. And the prosecutor, who was, you know, I, I loved this guy. He was my, he took care of me. He protected me. He told me before the sentencing, he said, "Look, you know, I, I, you broke the law. I don't want to see you go to jail. I don't believe in these laws." But they're on the books, and I have to 
keep my position in the hierarchy, even though he was the highest prosecutor in, in the, the district. You know, I just can't, not, I have to ask for time for you. And I said, don't worry about it. You know, I understand and it's okay. So, so it gets to the judge. The judge says, okay, Charlie, you know, what do you got for me? And your honor, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, the, he did cooperate, but the information he had was so old, it was almost useless. He painted a picture of me like, you know, just like a, like, he played everything down, and then he sat down, and he did not ask for time. And I looked over at him, and he wouldn't look at me. He just looked down like this. This is a tough Irish fucking prosecutor, right? And so then the judge says, okay, and he goes into his chambers, and he comes back out. And as minute he stepped into the room, I knew that I wasn't going to jail. I just knew it. And I started to have a nervous breakdown, a complete meltdown, sitting right there at the, at the desk in front of the judges because it was, I could deal with being seen as a, a good guy who'd gone bad and had to pay a little bit of a price and, you know. But I couldn't stand to be seen as a good guy who didn't deserve to be punished. Mm-hmm. I couldn't stand it. I could not accept that. I wouldn't, I, I couldn't let it in. It was painful. It was so painful. But then I said to myself, Krishnadas, you were willing to accept the bitter prasad from Maharaji's hand. You know what I'm saying by prasad? It's, this is what the guru gives you. It's, you know, blessed food. Right. So it's, but this is all, you were willing to accept the bitter prasad you have to take the sweet prasad as well. And that's what was so hard for me. I said, okay, you know, all right. So I got six months at home, best six months I've had in my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Sat around, watched TV, went shopping, went to see the Dalai Lama, visit my father. It was so fucking great. I wouldn't be alive without that six months. Yeah. Blessing. So that's the problem. We see ourselves in this way that we don't allow ourselves to be beautiful and to, to be to, to be in that love. We, we, we don't allow that. And since we don't allow it, we keep creating more and more of those circumstances that keep fulfilling that, that unhappy prophecy, you know. So it's not, it, it, it's, it, we, we think it's okay to see the beauty in somebody else, that they're a great human being, but we won't let it in ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> Preaching to the choir. I mean, that's, I yeah. still struggle with that and I recognize that. And it's very frustrating because I see that, you know, yeah. I see that it's a very deep rooted thing sure. for me, this self not it's not self-loathing anymore it used to be there it's better yeah. mm-hmm. i used to not even be able to have a mirror in my apartment because i couldn't stand to see my own reflection it was that bad yeah, yeah. today i can so it's better but um yeah yeah years 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 later you know after studying meditating uh, you know it still is there 
it's a lifetime's work. It's, right. That's what that's what this lifetime is about. Yeah. Maybe last lifetime was something else, but that this lifetime is is what this is about. Yeah. That's uh, it'll take a lifetime. Yeah. And I, and actually, I, I've thought about that, and I thought another time I saw you in Hartford, Connecticut, you said something to the effect of, when talking along these lines, like, we all just need to calm the fuck down because, you know, this is just one in many, many lifetimes. It's not a race. We're all just here. Everyone just chill out. <laughs> and and th- ever since you said that, you know, it's it's th- that was going back, I think, about four or five years ago. But it pops in my head when I often am like, I'm not doing enough. I'm not far enough along. Oh, yeah. And so thank you for that years later. But uh, mm, I'm talking to myself. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but you're welcome. Thank uh, you. Uh, thank, thank you. Yeah, I uh, I hope you don't have any issues at the border. I a nightmare for me was... I, I'm from Connecticut. I just moved to Canada at the end of last year. Uh-huh. And I, I met my wife. She lives here. We got married. What I did not realize, I have two old DUIs on my record, which are felonies here in Canada. Oh, wow. So for the first 15 months after we were married, I was in the States. She was here and we could not be together. And even right now, as we're speaking, I'm here on a temporary residency permit for three years. So luckily they gave me that loophole. I had right. to, you know, had to fill hundreds of, or like a hundred pages of paperwork. I know, my, I got, I'm going to bring my whole file. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you know. Weighs it's, about 40 pounds. It's a nightmare, but I'm sure Maharaji will be with you. You'll be all right. I, pretty, you know, they, they kind of, they, they, it, they don't have to let me in. No, right. They, they should probably have a reason not to. Right. Because I do have this paper that says that, you know, I have, I've been approved and I just need to bring this paper with me. Oh, and, good. Uh, you know, oh, no, no. It's a <laughs> yeah, I, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I, I forgot what you'd said earlier, but something effective, you know, I, I can't, it was grace for you. It was, you know, the grace of that, that very strong yogi and that look. And yeah, a lot of pe- most people don't get that. Um, so we, I know we can't really speak to that end of things, but let's talk about the actual use of drugs and the purpose they served at that time in our life. You know, I, I mean, for me, for example, I, I was just so miserable and, and so depressed, um, I, I actually would go so far as to say if it wasn't for the drugs, I might have actually killed myself. You yeah. Know, not karmically speaking, but. Very true. Yeah. And I, so I honor that and I honor them being in my life in that time because who knows what could have happened. So in your, your case, what, what were the drugs or not even maybe just for you, but in general, what are drugs providing, you know, <laughs> us with that we're not finding elsewhere? <clears throat> yeah. You know, on one hand, who the fuck are we? Where the fuck are we? What the fuck are we doing? How did we get here? We've been shot out of a cannon and we're hurtling through space and we're trying to like get comfortable. It's almost impossible. We don't, we're trying to find a place to land, but we're like, you know, like shot out of a cannon. And, um, I think people are just so lost and so clueless and so hurt 
that they need to numb themselves. You need they need to anesthetize themselves and self-medicate because how do you fucking deal with this? Where what is this? Even people who don't consciously ask that question, they're rushing around like crazy trying to get money, trying to get jobs, trying to get pussy, trying to get cars, trying to get all kinds of stuff, you know? And they they never like they're they're obsessed they're compulsively doing all this shit. They're completely not present. And there's a part of you that just has to stop. And there's no tools for that. Their parents didn't know about that. The people they grew up didn't know about that. Nobody in their life knows about that. So the only thing we know is is chemicals. Mm-hmm. Chemicals, sleeping pills, alcohol, drugs... Um, dangerous sports, uh, anything that pulls us out of our minds, out of our suffering temporarily, is what we're going to go for. Mm. And the problem is, of course, that none of that stuff really works. It just works temporarily. You know, Maharaji said, you know, you can smoke hash, uh, we'll go into a room, If it, the only problem is it doesn't work. If it, if it worked, I, w- I would we'd get a whole bunch of hash, we'd go in a room, and I'll come in with you. We'll all smoke together, you know? Yeah. He said, but it doesn't work. The problem is that people don't see that it doesn't work because they don't have the... They don't understand that, what's, that something might be possible. That's the real killer. The killer is that most people will never have that conscious glimmer of, of, of hope, real hope, or real understanding that there's another, there's another way to be in the world. They won't even get a chance to ask the question. They just tumble and roll and, and, and until they hit the wall and, get, and, and die. This is... This is when you really see this, this is how you develop compassion. Because you see the state of things, number one, and you see how lucky we are that we even know something exists to the slight, to the tiny little infinitesimal percentage that we know something. It's enough to change the way we live and go through the day. So drugs... It's just life, you know, it's just, it's just sex is a drug, drugs are drugs, televisions are drugs. Why do you think the entertainment industry is so big? Because we don't want to be here. We can't deal with this shit. And entertainment, you go to a movie and you're gone for two hours. Man, that's cheap, 15 bucks, you know. Heroin would be more expensive. So, but, you know, so that's, I, that's all it is. But then once the physical addiction comes then you're fucked because then you need to keep doing that and you've lost your vote you never really had much vote in the first place but at least you physically weren't physically addicted psychological addiction is bad enough and actually once it's addictive it really doesn't matter but and there's a fine line between the two but once once you've really lost your vote you've lost your vote yeah 
And if you can't vote, you can't change the way things go. So that's when it gets nasty, you know. That's when it, it, it goes across the line from just, like, trying to find a way to get through the day to, like, needing to find a way to get through the day. So once that happens, you know, if it's a physical addiction, you know, I've had friends who've died. And I thought, well, what would I have done? The most I could have done if they hadn't have fucking fooled me and hidden everything, you know, so I didn't know. The most I could have done was kidnap them, throw them in a fucking closet for a week or two, feed them, and then just let them out. And then they'll do it all again. But right. that's all you can do. So, there are different types of drugs, though. For instance, Maharaji said, LSD, the yogi medicine, he called it, brings you into the room with Christ. But you can't stay. The only way to stay is love. Compassion, caring, kindness openness that's what he means when he says love because there's only one so you have to but even that's kind of karmic in a way isn't it you know for instance i just met you know it's funny i went to my 50th high school reunion last week and for the after 50 years i saw a friend of mine 49 48 years who I had scored 10 capsules of Sandoz acid from. This was still legal at that time. Yeah. He, I bought it from him, and I never saw him after that for 48 years. And I saw him the other day at the reunion, and he said to me, I, I told him, you know, those, those are the only 10 trips I took, basically. And he said, you took 10 trips. And all this happened for you. I took over 100 trips, and I'm still living on Long Island. <laughs> and I didn't... He said, you took two trips, and you're all over the world. I took hundreds of trips, and I never went anywhere. Mm. And I thought, wow. Right? Wow. How interesting. Yeah. And he wasn't kidding. You know, he's a good guy, but he's not aware and he took hundreds of trips. He had that was the best asset there ever was. Maybe Owsley's was a little better, but this was, ooh, this was very good. <laughs> <laughs> very good. So I don't know. It's a big subject. But, you know, when you're talking about, in this, in this sense, addiction, once you've lost your will, it's very hard to get it back. Mm -hmm. Because will is what you want something from the refrigerator, your will. I'm going to pick up my hand, I'm going to open the door, I'm going to get it and put it in my mouth. That's will. It moves you in the direction that your desires want to take you, whatever they are, good or bad. I mean, positive or negative, uh, suffering creating or, or freedom creating. 
its will. I was sitting in the jungle with a, a yogi who was at the time 163 years old. He's now 187. Wow. Guaranteed, absolutely the yeah. truth. And he looked at me and he goes, huh, you have to develop willpower. And it's, in Hindi, it's Icha Shakti. Icha means desire, Shakti is power. Icha Shakti. And I thought, what do I need willpower for? I, I was sitting there and I thought that. And he kind of, and he looked at me again and he did something and he showed me inside me what he was seeing. Mm. And I went, holy shit. And I saw that I had chains, I had put chains around my own feet, my own ankles. And I wasn't going, I wasn't living. I wasn't going after the things I wanted in life. I was, I was wimping out. I wasn't doing anything. And I saw there's only one life. There's not spiritual life and worldly life. And if I wasn't getting it together here, it wasn't going to come together there either. That I needed to live. I needed to become, I needed to manifest. I needed to kind of inhabit this life. Because otherwise... It wasn't going to be inhabited. Nobody could do it for me. Mm-hmm. And that changed a lot of things. Just the way he showed me this. I saw it all in a second inside. And I went, oh. So willpower is interesting. And the problem is that we always use it. So anyway, once we've lost our vote, it's really hard to get it back. Yeah. And for those that don't have, you know, the the ability to travel to India or to meet, you know, and again, maybe it's their karmic path, yeah. but, uh, you know, talking about those chains, as you're saying that I'm thinking like, I know that I still have chains inside of me. You sure. know, there's, I do too. Yeah. Right. Um, but like, I, I'm not able to see inside or at least thus in my life, I've not seen them. And, and I struggle with how to, free myself from them you know aside from doing my meditation and my mantras and you know in a way that is heartfelt you know i I try to be as sincere with it as i can sure um spiritual practices are not an end in themselves we do them and then we live our lives and our lives changes the sand shift beneath our feet we don't have to make the sand shift with our hands we we do our practices, and gradually, it's it's like we're born with glasses that are the wrong prescription. Mm. And through practice, they self-correct slowly. And we start to see things clearly, and more clearly, and more clearly, and, and finally. It, so that's all, that's what it is. And you don't see those kind of changes, man. You don't see right. them. Because the one who's seeing them is the problem. And that's the part of you that's fading away, that's, that's uh, bubbling away in the atmosphere. Little parts of you are just, you know, just vaporizing. And you don't notice that. But if you look back at your life, little by little, you begin to see that you spend less and less time in these heavy negative states of mind. It's not that they don't come, but you're not living there as much as you used to. But you don't see that on a daily basis because... When you're in them, they have a quality of like that you're always in them. They feel like it's always like this, right. but it isn't. Right. Yeah. 
the thing I find almost doubly frustrating is, is I, everything you're saying, absolutely in my heart, no doubt about it. (laughs) No question. And on a good day, I will anchor into that witnessing awareness, you know, where I recognize I'm, I'm not in the moment housed in the ego, not all day, but you know, I'll have the glimpses of, of the watcher. No, no, that's not enough. No, no, no. You don't, that's, Okay, that, that's okay. It's good to give yourself a break once in a while. Yeah. But the real break is when you're not thinking about it at all and you're just living. Mm. Mm. See, because patting yourself on the back about it is in the long run a self-defeating uh, attitude. Mm. It's when you're not thinking about it. Like a kid when they're playing, they're not thinking about that they're playing. They're just absorbed. When you're really absorbed in your life and really living and not, you know, not paying, not having all that the stuff that's going on all around you in your brain all the time, and you're really there, that's, but you don't, those are the moments when you're not there to say, wow, this is a great moment. Mm. When you're not in those moments, then you can recognize, well, I've been less heavy. That's good. So it's good, but... That's not an recognize that you have to let go of that. It don't don't try to squeeze more time out of that. You know, like I'm a good, I'm doing this good. I just I'm watching. Don't try to now get off on that, right? Because that'll bring you down. Right, right. Notice it, cool, and then forget about it. Just live, yeah. and and you you will be spending less time in those heavier states of mind. You will be spending less time giving yourself a hard time. Mm-hmm. But when you're not, you won't notice. And that's, and finally, none of those states will arise and you won't even notice necessarily. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. That's okay because you'll be here. And that's, when you're here, you're not thinking about it. You're just here. Right. Yeah. And you're planting seeds for that all the time with your practice. And your practice will keep bringing, you know, pulling those moments towards you and pulling you into those moments from within. So, this is, I don't want to keep you up too long, but there's no. an incredible uh, description of the way these practices work. Which I would love to hear if you are willing was, to share. It was by Sri Ramakrishna, yeah. who lived in the late 1800s. He died in 1885, I think. And he said that every repetition of one of these divine names, because he was talking about that practice, but all practices are like this. Every single repetition has, has power, shakti, has consciousness in it. And however, you may not experience that in the moment, of the repetition of the name. But it's what it really is like is plant like a seed. Every repetition is a seed. And that seed gets caught by the wind. And it gets carried for thousands of miles and it lands on the roof of this old house in 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 the middle of somewhere in India, right? And in those days the houses were made from clay tiles. And over time and seasons and wind and rain and heat, the tiles would begin to break down. And the seeds that got caught on the roof between the tiles, once the tiles got soft, those seeds would start to grow. These are the seeds of the repetition of the name. 
and they grow and they destroy the roof of the house. And they keep growing and they wind up destroying the whole house. Ramakrishna said that house is who you think you are. Who you think you are. When you're thinking, I am me, you have walls that separate you from the, everything else. It's a, a form. You have a shape. And there's a walls and a roof. When the, when the repetition of the name over time destroys the walls, there's only oneness. There's space everywhere. There's no cutting it off. There's not an inside and an outside. What doesn't he talk about? He doesn't talk about how it might have felt all that time. What your experience is, because your experience, the you, is what's going away. It doesn't gives a shit what you're experiencing, whether you're happy or sad or in or out. Makes no difference. The experiencer is getting thinned out little by little and disappearing, and then you've become the whole universe by disappearing, not by getting bigger. So it isn't about what you experience. You could pay some attention to it, it's okay, but it's no big deal. It's about the seeds you're planting and how they will come to fruition according to how you plant them. And every karma, every action is a seed. How you do what you do, whatever it is, whether it's kicking somebody in the street or giving them five bucks, or being nice or not, or doing practice or not, those are all seeds. Everything is a seed. And all those seeds will come, will grow at some point in some way. It's just too far fucking out, man. It just has nothing to do with us almost. It's so ridiculous, you know? Yeah. As you're saying it, like, I'm like, yeah, it makes sense. And then another part is like, this fucking human condition. Like, ah. Yeah. All we do is think about ourselves yeah. all day long, you know? It's so crazy. It's so boring. It's always the same shit. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah, it is. It Every is. Every day. And we never get tired of it, right? Yes. How crazy is that? We are so stupid. So I guess the the last thing I'll ask you then is where do we find the freedom in it? If freedom isn't something you find, freedom is actually our true nature. We uncover that within ourselves as the walls of that house start to crumble. Freedom is that space in which we all live. This vast presence. It's not something we get. When you get rid of your shackles, you're back to who you are. It's not something new. It's not something else. It's not somewhere else. It's not somebody else. It's not another part of you. It's just your natural state. It's where you are, which is here all the time, anytime, anytime you look, anytime. But we're moving so fast that even when we look, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, the present moment, big deal. Okay, what, this moment? I mean, this moment? Okay, next. Yeah, okay, I got to go. See you later. We're moving so fast that we don't get to go down into it. But that's what life does to us. We start to slow down of our own free will. Nobody can slow you down. Even death row can't slow you down unless you want to. 
Not everybody on death row becomes a saint. This guy did. So, so that's the thing. If it wasn't already who we are, we could never find it. That's the thing. It's, it's the way Maharaji would look at us. He was looking at the whole beauty of the whole universe. And he was, we were part of that. He's looked at us as if we were also that, because that's what he was seeing. Because that's all he saw. And we also can see that. And we have to see it in ourselves, or we won't see it anywhere. So that's why we do practice. That's why you have to sit your ass down and whatever you do. Nobody else can do it for you. Even Maharaji can't make you enlightened. He can, he can show you what it might be like and get you a better sense of direction. But he can't walk the path for you. He can maybe take a, remove some of the obstacles that you yourself have created because, you know, but he, he can't walk the path for us. We have to do it ourselves. And we wouldn't be doing it if we didn't know what it is already. We may not really quite be able to remember how it tasted, but we remember there was a taste that was pretty cool. And we're trying to find that again. It's like a song you can't quite remember. Where, what is, uh, I, I know that was a great song. I remember how it felt hearing it. What was that music? I want to hear that again. ourselves and we medicate ourselves because we've lost hope because everybody has that spark everybody and it's crushed by this world and those who are crushed they know they're crushed somewhere and that, that is so such an unbearable feeling that you do anything to to not have to feel that. It's a beautiful motivation. It's just bad uh, technique. That's all. It's a beautiful motivation to be want to be free from suffering. Everybody, nobody wants to suffer. No animal wants to suffer. No person, no deity wants to suffer. But yet it's there, so we have to deal with it. And by dealing with it, it, it lessens. We, over, we, we learn, we, we change, we transform. We train. I mean, I, don't, I haven't learned anything, but I've immersed myself in this as much as I could, which is not really very much compared to some people. Man, I know people who... They just been living in monasteries, sitting 20 hours a day for like the last 30, 40 years. And they've had good teachers, so they haven't just gotten lost in that. They've actually 
become more present, you know, and now maybe are coming back into the world in a new way. And I've been watching TV. <laughs> and I still do, goddammit, you know. Too fucking bad. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Krishnadas Pilgrim Heart Hour. We really appreciate your support and hope you'll continue that support by going to mindpodnetwork.com kd and clicking on the donate button or using our amazon.com portal for all of your purchases. Thank you. Namaste. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you like to get off your chest right now? Are you feeling lonely, unappreciated, or misunderstood? When you keep these feelings bottled up, they can affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and work through whatever is weighing you down. It's a great way to increase your self-awareness, change negative thought patterns, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now.